In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode three eighty one. That's right. Uh, we are talking about the uh, what do they call the? Are they called are they labeled Tales of the Dark, Dark Multiverse. Multiverse? There we go. Tales of the Dark Multiverse, Blackest Night special. I guess we'll have to call it. And then Far Sector issue number one. But before we get into that tonight, we had a couple of topics we wanted to get into. So, Mark, what do you wanted to start with? Well, these one. Well, actually, I, I suspect yours might be the one that we have the most, quote-unquote, fun with, um, certainly from a time-consuming perspective. But let's talk about – there are a few things that popped up. Actually, one of these popped up, I think, shortly after we recorded last time, but but since we had a week removed. So let's talk about – let's do Black Adam first because Black Adam will probably be the quickest here uh, of, the, of, my, of my two topics. We actually have the release date for Black Adam now, which is – 12, 22, 21. Lots of, lots of twos in that. <laughs> uh, so that's let's good. Hope, let's hope it doesn't drop a deuce. Yeah. Uh, so the good news is, yes, we have an actual release date. It's supposed to start, what, filming next, excuse me, early next, somewhere in, the, I think, the first half of 2020. And now, did you, you probably have heard this, but did, did you hear what the, what the not the main, and over the huge interworking of the complicated aspects of the plot, but did you but you, did you hear who was supposed to be in the movie with Black Adam? No. Well, the rumors are number one, Hawkman is supposed to be in it, so I figured that would make you happy. Yeah, I did hear that. And uh, and the Justice Society is rumored to be a factor, Woo-hoo. to be a factor as well as maybe because Hawkman is in it. I'm not entirely sure. I don't really know. But the reality is um, that that is what I don't know. Again, it's not confirmed or anything, but that was that was the rumor that I heard. Besides Hawkman, that it was supposed to be JSA related. So I thought it would be interesting to bring that up, just because none of those we haven't seen any of those characters on the big screen yet, and the fact that it would be characters that you have an affinity for. So I thought that would be interesting. It would. Um, it kind of lends some more interest to me in going to see the Black Adam movie in the first place. I'm still slightly miffed that Black Adam isn't just Shazam 2, um, but whatever. Um, I see what they're doing, what they're trying to do at least. Um, the thing is, I yeah, his history is complicated and long, and but I mean, uh, is there really that much story to tell with Teth Adam? I mean. I don't know. Um, 
you could do Isis and Osiris and all that other stuff. You could do you, you throwing in the the Hawkman angle, especially if he's a former Egyptian king and the past lives thing and all that stuff. That could be fun. This time period with the JSA sort of uh, I mean, if you're going to do the JSA, that that sort of almost inherently has to put this what in the 40s or 50s. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, I get it, but at the same time. That only slightly increases my my uh, desire to see the Black Adam movie, which wasn't much to begin with. I mean, I'll go see it, obviously, and obviously, you know, my opinion is subject to change based on trailers or uh, you know photos that are leaked or, or whatever. Yeah, the inevitable Entertainment Weekly cover, uh, you know, that sort of a thing. But yeah, it's uh, until there's stuff to be seen my attitude towards this movie is still sort of meh. No, I can, I can kind of see that in a way. It's kind of hard to get too excited. Up to this point, it's been kind of hard to get too excited considering that it, this is one of those long, you know, gestating properties that it's kind of hard to really have to be that excited about it because up until recently, it just seemed like, well, there was no... There was no real evidence this thing was ever going to get off the ground, <laughs> but seemingly it is, and they are going in a di- they're going in you know taking it in a different direction and the characters that they're focusing in on, and if they do want to go the, go the route of the more the anti-hero modern view on Black Adam versus a pure out and out villain, I would obviously that would probably be more it would suit the Rock probably at this point it would suit his. Uh, public persona a little bit more too i'm interested to see how it is and uh clearly the goal would be to set him up to be you know either not just in shazam but of course there was that rumor a long time ago that he was supposed to be like what what in man of steel 2 or whatever it was one of the many rumors about that that's the movie that he was originally supposed to first appear in so we'll see i'm i mean it's it's still a long way off even though it's not as far off as uh some of these other projects that we're going to talk about but it's it's I thought it was interesting at least it was worth it was worth bringing up but well, I wouldn't have guessed Hawkman in the Justice Society that's not the thing that would come to my, my first in my mind's eye necessarily as is but maybe they think that maybe they think there's a hook there they might I just wish you know there there are other things I when you say it's period piece JSA is probably my most you know, sought after, depending on the time period you're, you're talking about, JSA is probably the number one I'd go to. But, like, you know, another following that would be, like, you know, the Blackhawks or something to that effect. But all of those are very specific time periods. So I guess we'll see. Yes, yes, we will. So we, we move on from – we move on from that. And, oh, it looks like I closed one of my articles, which stinks, but I'll find that in a second. Let's – it's it. Well, I can segue into it this way. We talked about Spider-Man because I think when we talked about when the Sony Spider-Man movie came out was going to come out, and, and I think we were last time we talked, I think we were still thinking it was going to be three years because of the fact that that was their pattern, right? Or, no, two years. We thought it was two. No, we did say it was two, right? It was. It was. Was it? It was two. It was seventeen nineteen. So that. So that is correct. That July sixteenth, twenty twenty one, is going to be the. Uh, the next Spider-Man movie, which is interesting from the from the perspective of how how that Marvel slash with Sony, they're going to have a lot of movies coming out 
over the next few years. And it's interesting because Marvel did announce more release dates. Of course, there's no movies locked into these dates. But now is going to be uh, looks like there's going to be four there's going to be four movies in both 2022 and in 2023. So for 20 so for 2022 we have February 18th, July 29th, May 6th, which is Black Panther. That's the one we know, and I guess October 7th, 2022, which a lot of people I believe think is going to be Blade because of the timing. That that would seem to be a natural time. Plus, we've had what uh, the Joker, and we've had Venom really as October releases that have done well, darker themed comic book movies. So it would seem. Yeah, when is the Morbius movie set to release? I oh, I can double check that in one second when Morbius is supposed to come out. So and for the t- and so yes, for so for 2022, it's February 18th, May 6th, July 29th, and October 7th. And they had, and they announced four 2023 dates, which is February 17th, May 5th. July 28th and November 3rd. So what's interesting about these dates is now if you want to project ahead for some of these other movies that we have not that we know are coming but we haven't gotten any confirmation for the, where they fit in and that actually includes Ant-Man 3 which we now know is coming. That is not just a rumor now that it is pr- pretty much confirmed that we're getting that. Now when you look at these, the, the additional release dates especially for 2023, now there's plenty of time along with the unclaimed on undesignated ones for 2022, there's still plenty of time to do Cap to do to do Captain Marvel two, to do uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three. Whether that's going to be 2022 or whether they're going to push it back to 2023, which might depend on you know when Gunn's obligation to Suicide Squad completely wraps up, and so along with Fantastic Four, potentially X Men, things like that. That there's there are there are spots available now in, in with with release dates and you think it's, this is uh, it's it's stupid probably uh, because I I don't I, I don't think they do this but the the slim chance exists so I figured I'd bring it up when they do X-Men do you think Marvel might do like a, a Wolverine movie a Cyclops movie a storm movie and then like all building up to it yeah, building up or, or or sticking those characters as cameos in other movies. Like for for instance, uh, Storm appears in Black Panther two. Uh, you know what I mean? Like in just doing that and then getting to an X Men movie. Like will we see the X Men characters that make up the X Men team proper before we see the X Men film? I would say there's probably a decent shot at that. I would probably bet on that we'll see some of those characters, whether, again, whether, like you said, you can get away with a cameo, whether it's naturally introducing some characters that in properties that would make sense, Storm in Black Panther 2, that would make sense. I think that, that they, they will probably do. I don't, I don't think – I don't think they're clearly going to – they're going to basically try to do a whole – like Avengers, you know, the whole Marvel, you know, phase one and, you know, phase one, a whole build up just for the, just with X-Men and that they're going to, that even though, even though they technically would probably be scattered through different actual numbered phases, but you'd have Marvel, you know, you'd have X-Men either X-Men solo movies basically being premiering in different phases before finally culminating. And then I don't think we'll see that. I don't think, I mean, it would be, it would be an interesting take depending on what they're actually going to do with, uh, the Avengers, how long we have to wait 
because that's another possibility whether I know they've talked about like what five years or maybe four or five years before seeing the Avengers so is 2023 still going to be too early maybe it's not but what is Captain Marvel going to be I mean some people have speculated they could open the door to Secret Invasion and in the Captain Marvel sequel. It's interesting that Captain Marvel seems to be getting pushed back. Excuse me. <clears throat> Keeps getting pushed back, or it's not as high a priority to be greenlit, which maybe may have been their plan all along. Maybe there's some of the... They're trying to adjust the character a little bit more. Either way, uh, it will be curious to see when that one comes out, especially since we know what Black Panther's 2022 I assume Guardians will be 2022 unless there's no way Gunn can really start making that movie until, you know, if he can't start making the movie until halfway through 2021, then yeah, probably, then you can take it to the bank. They'll probably roll it back because they're certainly not going to want to have that movie rolled out. They're going to want that to be a summer release. I don't see, based on their track record with that franchise, it's either going to have to be, the, you know, like a, a summer release, a July release, or it's going to be, they're going to want a May release. That's why, to me, it was still a bit surprising that they put Black Panther in the May spot, even though it makes sense because they feel it's established enough to carry the May slot. Right. But you, that, that seemed to be a natural for February because it came out in February. But we'll, I don't know, I think the answer to your question about Morbius is July 31st, 2020. So that's mm. next, that's next, the next July. Well, it's a summer movie, so that should do well for him. It could do well. I mean, again, Morbius Morbius is not exactly an A-tier character. I mean, it would be... We'll see if Leto and uh, the trailers can get people interested then. It's about as probably intra- it's probably as big a character, maybe slightly bigger a character than like Man-Wolf and things like that in, in the Spider-Man repertoire of, of villains. But, yeah, so I, I just... I, cause that, this kind of story kind of came out, I think, right before, uh, shortly after I got back off a of vacation and stuff about the Marvel release dates, and then I had to look at it to see if it was actually, what was actually confirmed, to make sure that they were just the dates confirmed, because automatically people like speculating to try to stick movies into these slots, and, and some make sense. I think the Blade thing being released in October makes sense. That that does make sense, because that's a, a month for horror and for darker movies, and there's also a rumor that maybe, even though Moon, you know, we know the Moon Knight series is what is coming. So, but there's rumors that maybe Moon Knight might be in that, might be in that in the Blade movie. Uh, so I just thought it was worth worth bringing up for discussion. Though your your uh, think your topic is a little bit more interesting, especially in the current context of many people making statements along that lines. Either before or after their movie tanks. <laughs> yep. So uh, this is from Fox News, uh, and I, I bring this up because as the source of this, because she said it on uh, on another uh, platform or, or another reporting site. But basically, the before the, the movie the before plot- the movie came out. It should be pointed yeah. out. This was bef- not too far before. So as, so as some people have pointed out that. The, the writing was already on the wall, I think, based on box office projections at this point. So she's not totally bl- – she's not doing the Monday morning quarterbacking in this when she said this. But then again, she was not – she did, wasn't exactly in a vacuum either. So that's a little bit of context to this. <clears throat> yeah, but I picked this anyway because of the headline that Fox chose to go with. And it's not like they're wrong. 
But the headline reads, Elizabeth Banks suggests her Charlie's Angels box office bomb is because men don't go see female-led action films. And the quote was, look, people have to buy tickets to this movie, too. This movie has to make money. If this movie doesn't make money, it reinforces a stereotype in Hollywood that men don't go see women do action movies, unquote. Uh, to continue going here, the Hunger Games actress seemed to dismiss the box office success of Captain Marvel, the Brie Larson Red Marvel, as well as Wonder Woman, because they belong to, quote, a male genre. And that quote is... They'll go see a comic book movie with Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel because that's a male genre. So even though those are movies about women, they put them in the context of feeding the larger comic book world. So it's all about, yes, you're watching a Wonder Woman movie, but we're setting up three other characters or we're setting up Justice League. Uh, by the way, I'm happy for those characters to have box office success, but we need more women voices supported with money because that's the power. The power is in the money, unquote. Get fucked, Elizabeth Banks. Ooh, Chad, I, let it let it go. <laughs> I, I I am all for female empowerment. I'm all for for equality. Uh, I didn't. If you if you want to use the term because it's in it's in vogue right now, go ahead and say it. I'm more vogue. I'm more woke than I have been in my past growing up uh, Christian or, or whatever in the values that were taught to me uh, in the church and all this other stuff. Whatever you want to say, get fucked. I am not sexist in the slightest in my movie choices. Your Charlie's Angel movie sucked because it sucked. The trailers failed to entice people. Nobody asked for this film. Ghostbusters, the reboot, or whatever you want to call it, didn't suck because it was women. It sucked because it sucked. And you seem to be dismissing the comic book genre. It, her statement about that is almost sexist in and of itself, right? She's still making the claim that the comic book genre is, you know, like belongs to men. No, it doesn't. Wonder Woman succeeded. Because it was a great movie with a great lead, and it was well done. And a lot of women went to see it, and a lot of men went to see it. We're no longer in this era where women should – I mean let me, let me be careful about how I phrase this. There used to be a stigma in the comic book industry and especially among comic book fans that women don't like going into, say, like the comic book store because they're going to sit there and be ogled by men or, you know, hit on or, or whatever. They're going to be they're going to feel uncomfortable in that environment. Are we there where every there's 100 percent equality and when women will not feel uh you know, preyed upon or whatever, or uncomfortable in a comic book store? Probably not. I'm sure there's some backwater place out there that, that, you know, with foil on the windows or whatever, that just looks like a dump and it's still run by a guy who has no idea how business works. That's all well and good. But largely, I feel like in the past several years, women have felt more freedom and and comfortability with claiming their geekness and letting that freak flag fly and to sit there and say essentially that you're sexist if you don't go see this film 
or the, the reason your film fails is because, oh, they're sexist. That's absolute bullshit. I'm looking at films like Alien. I'm looking at films like the Underworld franchise. I'm looking at film. I mean, just and Mark, you're a much more well versed in the film industry. I'm sure you can add like a billion more examples to this. But my God, there have been so many iconic female led films that have broken box office records and it is not a whether your film succeeds or dies in the in any genre has nothing to do with the lead characters being male or female i get that we need to have more diversity both in gender both in race both in sexual orientation and that's fantastic let's get more creative people into the industry showcasing their talents and putting their best foot forward so we get the best product. But that's not what happened with the Charlie's Angel movie. The trailer sucked. The movie sucked from everything I hear about it. Because remember, for those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, I have people who work at the Alamo Draft House and the various franchises throughout the Austin area. And people who manage, work food service, all this stuff. They tell me all the time and I say, I look, I'm interested in seeing this, this and this. What do you think? What's your buzz? What are you hearing? How's the how are the sales? Uh, did they move it down from like three screens to just one and like two showings a day within like the week? Or is it still got multiple showings? like all these things that will tell you whether a movie succeeds from all those various barometers? Charlie's Angels sucks. Without me going to see it, trailers failed to entice me. I had no interest in this film or the actresses in it, not because they were actresses, but because I had no interest in the product they were putting forth. I can completely understand if there is some stigma still left in Hollywood that she's referring to or whatever here. But it is very clear that if that was ever a thing, it was very slim and and it and or it's currently mega on its way out. We've got Black Widow coming up, and I know that's another comic book movie, and she seems to dismiss all of those. But my God, that that just pissed me off. Like I can understand if you want to point out inequality in any industry, all well and good, go for it. But your point here, Elizabeth Banks, has no basis in reality. Now maybe her, maybe Elizabeth Banks is what the point she was really trying to make, potentially, by talking about the stereotype, was the fact that it would be un- that, which, which is a, still a self-serving point, mind you, since she made the quote before the movie came out that if this movie were to underachieve, that it would just kind of perpetuate this stereotype, whether how much of it's true or not, that men, you know, so it would be it would be unfortunate for that reason. The reality is it's, this is one of those quotes where you look at some pieces of what she's saying. There's some truth in it, but the overlying, but the what's what's implied isn't true, and you have to break down even the parts that are. Like, is there a stereotype that men that men don't want to see action, female-led action movies? Yes, but that's a stereotype that is kind of, especially in our current time, is more being perpetuated and pushed by people with an agenda. And who, who keep, like you kind of pointed out, who, tend, who have been giving us a lot of movies that we really don't want, don't want. 
in a, or in a way we don't want them, and then blaming us because we don't go see them, that a lot of those people are pushing the – perpetuating that stereotype or pushing that forward because, you yes, you mentioned Ailey in the original Terminator movies. You know, you know, Nobody had a problem with Sarah Connor being a strong female, female action hero, even in Genesis, which I really liked. Most of the complaints about Genesis wasn't that oh who's going to believe Sarah Connor? They just didn't believe Amelia Clark was as you know was that version of Sarah Connor was as good you know as what they were expected. They expected like a tough I think a tougher hard ass version because of what we got we were used to seeing in in Sarah Connor, especially after T two. You have Lucy with Scarlett Johansson. Uh, there's there's and I actually think, ironically, if she, if she wanted to go the sexist, <laughs> imply the sexist route, she would have had a better argument to a. I think if she wanted to imply that men are not interested to going to see action movies led by women, unless there's a strong TNA aspect of it, which of course would because she would have a better case to make, I think, if she wanted to make that point because everybody could say, well, yeah, because that's so broad and. No pun intended. It's, it's so broad-reaching that you could say anything. Like you mentioned, Kate Beckinsale's like, oh, she's hot. So that's people. That's an aspect of it. Scarlett Johansson, she's hot. You know, all all the stuff. Now, mind you, the property she's making a movie of, part its original claim to fame was because the because well, at least they always had two of the three Charlie's Angels at any given time on the show were very very attractive, and they always had one who was out there who seemed to be the and even. But even Charlie's Angels as a franchise itself, you can make a case they did a better job promoting trying to have, you know, quote unquote hot chicks kicking ass and having people be interested in it when they did the when they did the the Lucy Liu uh, Cameron Diaz Drew Barrymore version. So at least the first one did really really well. This movie, regardless of whether she was trying to cover her, you know what, by making it sound like well if this movie tanks, this is the reason why it wasn't as blatantly stupid a statement. As what uh, Tim Miller did for Terminator Dark Fate by preemptively attacking your fan base in such a way, saying the only if you don't like this or you don't like these characters, the only reason why you the people who wouldn't like them have to be you know you know uh, misogynistic sexist trolls, you know, especially when the majority of your audience, hello, for that movie are males and have proven so that they have no issue with strong female characters. But let's but let's make you know let's do that. It wasn't as blatantly stupid. As that, but it still, yes, can be. It implies that that's the main reason people aren't interested in your movie. And as you pointed out, number one, the trailers, the trailers don't didn't do anything for for most people for this movie. It just it just did not really appear. I mean, appeal, excuse me, to anybody. And the fact that you know the 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 biggest the biggest star you have. "Quote unquote" is Kristen Stewart, who is very unlikable, which doesn't mean that she's not attractive at times on any level, including appealing in a movie. But she, ha- but she is not. She does not come across as very, very likable. Like I mentioned in the, th- in the thread you started before, it's kind of funny that you know sh- her and what a T.J. Miller are going to be in that underwater movie, which is like two of the most unlikable and annoying, especially T.J. Miller. Actors going today and put them both in the same movie. It's like, yeah, that's going to be a recipe for box office success. Woo! But Chris, I mean, I like Naomi Scott and what Ella Balinska. They looked much more. I like Naomi uh, Scott anyway, but they 
they looked much more – to me, I was much more interested in them and even Elizabeth Banks than I was in Kristen Stewart. But all they pushed in this movie was Kristen Stewart and the advertisement. So they had this prop – now, Elizabeth Banks – this was not an Elizabeth Banks – idea from the perspective from if everything I remember correctly about this project she it's not like she said I want to do Charlie's Angels give me the it's like the studio wanted to do Charlie's Angels and she ended up being attached to it or she got the gig but it's not like she was pushing which doesn't excuse the, the movie tanking by the way I'm just saying that this wasn't like a pet project of her that she's always wanted to do and it just seems like and they suppose they had issues with getting people to be in this movie which probably was script related is the fact they? I think they wanted bigger. They wanted some bigger names, and Kristen Stewart was about the biggest name they could get yeah. in this movie. But it, yeah, it, it, just like, just like, and there's a direct correlation too. It's like Terminator: Dark Fate. Those trailers did not make the movie look good. I thought, I mean, Dark Fate, like I talked about, you know, in the last episode, it was, it wasn't bad. It was better than the reviews are indicating that it was and a lot of the hate comes from the stuff that happens in the first 5 minutes of the movie and the fact that it's not nothing new you just you just basically re give, giving us a quote unquote new new messiah and a, and a new name for skynet but the movie plays out exactly the same as we've seen before it doesn't add anything to it nobody was crying out for this for this version of charlie's angels either the trailers didn't work the trailers for dark fate didn't make it look particularly good so you can't you know, you have to take responsibility when marketing is very, very, very important for a movie, and it could be a really good movie, and you market it poorly, and that hurts you. May not make it a bomb, but it still impacts you. Just like it could be a subpar movie, but the marketing is so damn good. You know, or a movie no one ever heard of, but the more I mean, like, look, I mean, Blair Witch Project is the ultimate example of a movie that probably nobody ever heard of up until shortly before that movie came out, up until a few months before. But between the, you know, the buzz and the documentary, I think that was on Sci-Fi or whatever, and and the, and and the website, which was brilliant, creating the whole mythology for it, it just it just sell. It it just made people in, it made people interested, and that was a movie that probably nobody ever heard of. But bad marketing can hurt a movie, just like we talked about, and I have something to tie into this when we're done with this, Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness was marketed horribly. And yeah, I, once I actually saw it, it wasn't bad. It was not a bad movie at all. I mean, I, it was enjoyable, but it, you know, it was a horribly marketed movie, and you, know, you shoot yourself in the foot when you, don't, when, you, when you do that. And I think this is an example that – could they have made this movie more appealing? Probably even – but it's not the reason. The reason this movie tanked is not because men do not want to go see act, action heroes. I mean, they've gone. You know, they had no problem going to see the, you know, the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider. You know, when she was Lara Croft, nobody had a problem. And yes, they you could use the TNA excuse for that too. But the point is, people went to go see it. And One of the biggest action franchises ever, Kill Bill. Well, it's not really a franchise. I don't know if I'd call it a franchise. It's two films. It's, it's, it's I know, but it's two films because I think it wasn't essentially it was one movie they ended up splitting into two, I think. But I get what you're saying. One of and the most well-known. And that one either because I don't find her particularly attractive personally speaking. Oh, Uma Thurman? Yeah, she's yeah. – Uma. Th not that that's a referendum, but I, I agree. With, I think she – I go hot and cold on Uma Thurman. Uh from that from that perspective. But I, 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 I agree with you. That was – that was that's that's a – a plot in a in a Tarantino audience-driven uh, uh, reaction and the interest in the 
you know the cult following and everything. But you're right. There's there 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 are a bunch of examples of. So it's not it's not just and and to and to dismiss the comic book genre because oh because it's going to shoot holes in your in your kind of like your borderline I'll be polite borderline sexist theory. That that's real convenient too, to to shoot holes in it. People had no problem going to. And, and if it's just and if males only like to go see male action movies, then how do you explain when 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 you release male action movies that tank horribly, like Gemini Man and things like that too? Oh, is it, it's racist because you didn't go see Gemini Man. Except then, why did people go see Black Panther? Oh, it's a comic book movie, so it doesn't. So all those things don't matter. Uh, it's like you can come up with an excuse or a, a counter to, to to all these things. People go. You know what's thinking actually too? What are some female-led movies I would love to see? Like they want to just keep pumping out. Fast and Furious movies, right? As well, one of my favorite characters from the, you know, remember, keep in mind, I only saw like the first few Fast and Furious and then I was just like, really, they're just going to keep going with this? I'm not, uh, I'm done. If they did a movie, like a, a movie focused, focused on Letty, Michelle Rodriguez's character, the girlfriend of, of Toretto, dude, I'd be all over that. If they did that and did that well, I really enjoyed that character. I would like to see more with her. One of my favorite they're going to they're going to pump out like Disney movies, right? With all the the new live action takes. My second favorite Disney movie, very close second favorite Disney movie is Hercules. I love Meg. If they want to like throw in more and more Meg in that movie, I've got no problem with it. I want to know more about that character. She's strong. She's she I mean Hercules saves her, and she's just like, "All right, now run off, like run along." Like, sure, there's a there's a love plot, you know, in that movie, but their first interaction is 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 her essentially saying, "Like, okay, now run along. I don't need your help." Like, she says, what, "What's the what's the quote? I'm a damsel. I'm in distress, uh, and then I'm <laughs> I'm over it, or something like that." Like, just like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I apologize for the heat in my in the venom earlier, but like it really it 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 felt like I know it wasn't personal because it's not like she knows who I am or anything, but it felt like you're trying to attack my character because I won't go see your stupid film. And what I think and the and the problem is is it kind of poisons the well when you when and not just what she not just the implication. That oh yes you know if you don't support this project you're this that and the other thing uh, which is all too typical these days is like you have to think like us all the time or else you're all you know you're, you're the scum of the earth it's the idea that you just it's kind of it's a variation on the on the like the boy who cried wolf too it's like you, it's like you just maybe there actually would be a movie or a good example that you could say this movie you know we've done research and there's a lot of in, and this movie, absolutely, people ended up liking after the fact, but everything indicates, based on all these factors, that people didn't go to see it because this was, you know, it was, it was a female-led movie. But when you cry that, and when you when you use that, play that card for every single time you do a project that people don't want, or they don't want it in the way that you give it to them, and then blame them and say it's your fault for not wanting this thing you didn't want, that it just it also t- makes people turn a deaf ear to you, and whether your criticisms. There's any bit of legitimacy in it or not? It makes people want want to turn a deaf ear to it, and it and it also and it also it also hurts projects that could legitimately be interesting 
to pe- to an audience under different circumstances because now it's going to be seen. Oh, here we go. It's pandering again. Here is the you know here is here is, here is the the wokeness again. So I'm going to turn it. Like you t- you talk about fast and you talk about fast and furious. There there are enough. Even though to be fair, they've also killed off some of these characters. But if they but there's still some interesting. A good amount of, in my opinion, female interesting characters in the Fast and Furious franchise, and if, and if they hadn't killed off a few others, there would be more, and, and who knows, there's plenty of room to introduce others in, in the next two movies. I think that could be something legitimate that people would be interested in. It would seem more natural, especially because we've seen these characters <clears throat> we've seen these characters before, not like giving a quote-unquote forced moment like an Endgame with all the women Avengers, uh, the non-really Avengers for most of them, but still all all the women superheroes of the Marvel Universe standing together just because it looks cool on screen, mostly. Not the only reason, but mostly. That it seems more earned because of the fact that you have these characters that have been around, you know, around together, like whether it was like. Letty or Mia or uh, Natalie Emanuel's character now and things like that. So I, that would I think that would be, and and we're almost guaranteed to see some of those because if they're really going to end that franchise after ten and just go with spinoffs, thanks to Hobbs and Shaw, we now know that you a Fast and Furious spinoff does have, you know, is viable. So yeah, I I don't know. I think I think sometimes you just gotta. <clears throat> you just gotta fall on your sword and accept the fact that even if you think deep down there are other factors that sometimes you do just need to just it's you're better off you're better off not saying some things and attacking your audience is almost never wise and yes fem yes there's a you know there's an audience for Charlie's Angels movies that are that are just fem- that are just a pers- you know that's a franchise that could appeal to women more if you try to make it all oh, the empowerment thing. But you also have to remember the origins of that franchise. That's not really what that franchise was about. They did kind of turn it around more in the in the the reboot. You know the you know the Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, uh, Cameron Diaz reboots because that was not as much blatant. You know TNA. Maybe in the, in the sequel when they had Demi Moore in it, they were kind of playing that aspect of it. Up a little bit again, but that's not what those movies were really about. So they, but they, but that kind of proved that you can, you could do that. You come up with, it just did not look appealing, and it had, and other than Kristen Stewart, I can't blame the, you know, I can't blame the cast because I did, like I said, I I like Naomi Scott and a few things. I actually liked her in the Power Rangers movie, uh, and that Ella Belinska girl looks. I don't, I don't know if I've seen her or anything, but she's really attractive. So and she seemed to have some you know appeal on the screen based on the char- that the character that she was playing looked like it could be a likable character. It's just it just wasn't what people wanted, and we've seen we've seen a lot of that this year. I mean, we always see it, but it seems like there's a lot of high-profile movies that have that crashed and burned over the last couple of months between Gemini Man, Terminator, and Charlie's Angels. And it's like you have just because. Just because you have either a big star, even though Will, uh, Will Smith is not really a big star anymore, regardless of Aladdin, he's a star. You know, he's his time doesn't mean he can't be up there again, but his time it's been cyclical. His time as you know the number one box office draw is kind of that kind of has faded out. So whether you have a big na- still a big name, maybe not a big star, but a big name attached to your project like Gemini Man, which was a long troubled project by the way to begin with, maybe and now we kind of perhaps know why. 
or whether you have a, a, a property, an IP that you think is going to put asses in the seats just by you know people are that people are sick of reboots. That's the other thing. You, people get conf- everybody call and I every everybody wants to label everything a reboot, even if sometimes it's not a reboot. Sometimes it's a sequel. You know, if it continues continuity from other movies, it's a sequel. You may it it may be in your mind's eye a soft reboot, so now you can take it in a different direction. But it's not a reboot. A reboot is something which has nothing, which in basically in name only has nothing to do with what came any of the continuity that came before. You're just starting over with the basic concepts. So. I think people throw that term out, and, and, and sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes it's not. But people don't like the term reboot. People are sick of quote-unquote reboots. So when you hear, oh, they're going to re- you know, they're going to reboot, you know, they're going to reboot this, they're going to reboot that, something that just ended, like rebooting Saw, which seems weird since we just had one like two years ago, or, and that's and what and people still don't seemingly know whether it's a full reboot or a quote-unquote soft reboot. And, and different things, just like when they remade Cabin Fever, which was stupid since the original Cabin Fever by Eli Roth wasn't particularly good anyway. And it was like within ten, like I think it was like ten years or something, and they and they rebooted and they did a direct, pretty much like almost a shot for shot remake of it. Why? You know, some things you just don't need to reboot. And I think that that along with the fact that I just I don't think that helped their cause in this either. Related before we turn turn to our main topic, I just happened to notice this, so I figured you. And since it was something you probably would be interested in slightly too, that supposedly I just saw the headline here. Even though it's from Movie Web, so it makes me want to throw up that it does say Star Trek Four with Chris Pine is back on now. So, but the Legion Legion creator Noah Hawley will direct. So, we shall see. Yeah, we shall see. Since that was supposedly DOA too. Well, now I'd be cr- curious to see if they were going to go in the direction they were going to, which supposedly was going to bring Hemsworth back as his father and some time travel crap. I'd be curious to see if they've scrapped that now or not. I didn't click. I didn't click on the article to read the details. I just saw the headline pop up. So i would be curious to see if, uh, since money seemingly was the issue, that some of these guys wanted to get paid more. Paid more, which was part of, I guess, the the deal after the that they were that the understanding they were going to get more pay by the time you you do you got to the fourth movie. Except as we know, Star Trek two and Star Trek three, and the crisp, you know, the Abrams first, they, you know, they didn't really make any money. Certainly, they they were not any more successful certainly than the original Abrams Star Trek. So those movies have not been prof overly successful. So it's kind of hard to justify. Paying your cast more and more money, even though logically you understand why they want that. <laughs> so, all right, on to the comics. I guess not. <laughs> it was a good. It was a good prologue. All right. So first up, I guess we're going to do the Dark Multiverse, huh? Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Blackest Night. I did not like that cover at all. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, the artwork does not. The artwork does not impress me. So Hal looks pretty cool. Um, so let's go through uh, the interesting. The interesting thing, of course, one of the interesting things about this is, I, and I say this tongue in cheek only a little bit, not not not, not with any venom behind it, no pun intended. Uh, but our, our old friend Tim Seeley is the writer of this. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tim Seeley is the writer. Kyle Hotz is the pen, is the penciler. Dexter Vines, Walden Wong, and Danny Miki are the inks. Uh, David Barron and Alan Pasolacqua did the colors. Tom Napolitano, letters. Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson did the cover on this. Uh, and, have, and you have gotten all – have you gotten all of these so far? 
Uh, the only ones out are Nightfall and Death of Superman, right? Right, uh, but you've gotten those two? I've read them, yes. Okay. Uh, and Infinite Crisis is next, but is that this week? I don't know about the release on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure the Teen Titans one is December. I just, I just don't know if two of them. Are, no, actually, I'm looking at it now. Infinite Crisis is November, which means it's, it's got to be this week or Thanksgiving week. So I'm, in, I am interested in that one because I actually really liked Infinite Crisis. So we begin like I think most of these begin with uh, Tempest Fuganot, who is the uh, basically the, the guardian of the the uh, dark multiverse here. His job is to seek tears in uh, the fabric of space time and basically to try to prevent things from the dark multiverse from leaking into our multiverse. So we kind of get a... Now, I'm going to skip... I have some comments to make about their... The basic narration... Well, not not the narration premise. The conclusion that is being talked about here as in you know where where the you know where basically you end up going off in a different direction the 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 this the concept of why this happens and why things worked out in our multi in our universe and not in this one i'm going i want to talk about their assertion in this issue uh but i don't want to have that interfere with, with the wrap up so we we had you know so they they give us the wrap up of how you know blackest night you know ended in our universe and of course, then then we have the slight, you know, the the vari- the variation which basically revol involves and revolves around the concept of Sinestro being basically Sinestro being Sinestro and believing that basically no nobody nobody but Sinestro was in a position and should basically be in a position to stop Blackest Night and Necron. But as we kind of saw in our universe, that Sinestro's control of the White Ring. Even though, technically speaking, it was Sinestro really had the he had the entity inside him. You know, that's the only reason he had the ring was because of the entity. So that's another thing there. But the idea that his control over life, let's just say it that way, his control over life was kind of always tenuous, and we saw that in in the actual Blackest Night that he that his his ego, his arrogance was not going to allow him to be able to steer that ship for long. But in this universe, Sinestro basically he just kept kept trying to do that. And because of that, um, he was not able to stop Necron from destroying the White Entity. Once the White Entity was destroyed, all the undead kind of became invigorated, and they swept over all the heroes, killing them. And I have to cough for a second. Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. I can take a drink here. So basically, all the heroes that were killed, they were, then they were resurrected as Black Lanterns. So the <clears throat> the army kept growing exponentially by the second, which we kind of know is the problem conceptually with Blackest Night, because there's always going to be more dead to start with. There's always more dead than living, and the fact that the more <laughs> the more living you kill, the more the odds kind of like tilt in the opposite direction. And pretty much everybody ends up being killed, turned into black, you know black lanterns, and we kind of see you know the, you know Superman, Black. Uh, Batman as Black Lanterns, and we see, of course, Hal Jordan himself becoming a Black Lantern, which is kind of an interesting plot point in this. And you know, Sinestro, knowing he was responsible, and decided, you know, he could not live with himself. You know, the universe is his failure, and and this, and basically, this is this is Sinestro's story. Though, you know, it, it you know it picks up you know it picks up in San Francisco 19 days later, and we see you know 
arguably, and I say this completely tongue-in-cheek because I hate this character, Lobo, everybody's favorite bounty hunter, Lobo pretty much fighting Black Lanterns left and right because he's, he's, he has been sent on a mission to, to rescue Dove because of Doug, Dove's unique, unique connection to what peace and and everything else and, and, and hope and all the stuff that, that someone – Someone seeks her out because of her connection, thinking that basically she might have a chance here to be able to, as people find out, a chance to maybe undo some of this damage. But we, have, but in the meantime, we have you know the, the we have all these Black Lanterns trying to appeal, you know, appeal to Dove, Are they, and they cannot turn Dove, correct? Right. Right. So they're still trying to wear her down and appeal to her. Lobo is taking these guys out left and right. He's using his regeneration abilities pretty much to uh, whenever they do damage to him and they try to get him to die. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't really work. And it's during you know dur- during during this battle and everything else, we find we see Sinestro. We see Sinestro, who now is a black ring and a white ring. Because he's half dead and he's half alive, that he has he has a very unique ability to temporarily being able to be, to essentially resurrect Black Lanterns and make them and make them human again, uh, make them alive again, I should say. But it doesn't last particularly long. Uh, you have a confrontation between Sinestro and and uh, Lobo and. Sinestro, Sinestro kind of gives the background of what's been going on here. As you know, it's like uh, things have changed since the Green Lantern Corps failed to stop Necron. I like that. I didn't fail to stop Necron. The Green Lantern Corps did. <laughs> and like I was attacked in the batter, I was nearly killed, but I was chosen. So basically, you know the you know the White Ring here is what's keeping Sinestro at least half alive and from and from becoming a total Black Lantern. You know, Dove is the avatar of peace and. Sinestro was able to de- detect her with his white ring. She's like the, she is the last woman on Earth, and Sinestro, you know, first thinks that hey, you know, basically that you know, he'd like to run some tests on her because maybe she's the you know she's the key to like in- to ending ending this plague. We you know, so the story the story you know, mo- moving the story along. Eventually, they they decide to work together. And uh, Lobo ends up taking Dove exactly where you know to the person that hired him to, and we find out that this is Mr. Miracle. Mr. Miracle is, and most of the and now the, the thing that's kind of cool is the new that pretty much all the new gods but him have become Black Lanterns, which is pretty impressive. Uh, because at this point the Black Lanterns are taking over the universe, but they haven't quite taken over the entire universe yet there's still a little bit of time left before the entire universe gets gets swallowed up and Sinestro tries to use his white ring trick um, to uh, resurrect them but it doesn't really work because of how powerful the new gods are we find out Mr. Miracle's plan is to basically use is to go to the source wall and basically use them but use the mother box to, to, to basically break a hole through the source wall so Sinestro's ring can channel his white ring can channel energy from the other side, maybe the emotion, you know, maybe the emotion, the, the reservoir for the emotional spectrum too, potentially, to channel that energy into Dove and then use Dove to to basically restart, to wipe out the Black Lanterns and restart life, 
that's that's basically Mr. Miracle's plan. And you know, they they get to the source wall. They attempt they attempt they attempt to do all this. Sinestro, of course, is faced with pretty much his uh, which I like the fact that he's faced with pretty much all the all the at first all the leaders of the uh, as they call them in this issue the Color Corps. You know, so you get to see you know you get to see Indigo One and you get to see Laura Flees. And St. Walker and Atrocitus, but the two that, of course, he has the hardest time dealing with <clears throat> are Hal Jordan and and Sornik. Hal Jordan because of the fact that, you know, the idea that maybe Hal Jordan was right about him, the idea that, you know, he could have he, he could have not been selfish, but instead, you know, he was. And the fact that, you know, clearly Sornik is – Sornik's his daughter, so the idea of seeing Sornik as a Black Lantern. And he does he does pull the – the resurrection trick on them it's kind of i do like the fact that though we don't really get it we don't 100 percent get a pure explanation for this do we in this issue why why uh dark side is the uh new avatar of necron no it would make more sense if he was holding the scythe well no he's not he's not necron he basically is taking he's taking the black hand spot no and then well i guess yeah but we don't but but they don't really give us but they don't really give us an explanation yet for why and how he, he kind of has supplanted. Uh, unless we're supposed to believe, which doesn't make sense, that somehow uh, Black Hand was still resurrected, even though that that kind of came during the the final act of Necron's defeat. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense, that part. It was a, it was a cool visual. First, I actually thought it was Martian Manhunter until you actually took a look at it. Uh, so Sinestro is dealing with all... Basically, he's dealing with all his failures. Uh, he does resurrect Sinestro, uh, Hal, and Sornik, like I said, and they're kind of and they kind of, you know, they kind of appeal to him. It's like our time is limited, limited, and he kind of tries to make peace with Hal. It's like, like I always hated you because I envied your will, and I just, you know, I just need you to know. I see now I was wrong and everything else. And Sinestro kind of admits that you know his his selfishness, his failure, doomed. Doomed the universe. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Lobo's like basically making copies of himself, which I guess is a, it's a Lobo trick to, to deal with all these black to deal with all these black lanterns. Uh, the the boom tube opens up and and Dove starts Dove starts channeling you know all all, all the white energy and but big but basically big it's it's uh, big Barter's emotional. Attachment to uh, to Mr. Miracle that basically prevent Mr. Miracle ends up cho- I guess chokes at the end of the day because the idea is that it's not, Dove won't be able to resurrect the people that have already been killed. She basically can start life anew, but she's not going. But, but she it's not like she can just resurrect all the Black Lanterns and make them alive again. They're going to all be dead. So Mr. Miracle realizes that. Uh, He's going to lose Big Barter forever if he does this. So he kind of screw he kind of screws their plan and what kills he kills Dove. Uh, Sinestro, and kind of gets his he gets his mojo back and he realizes you know this the, the Jordan was right you know uh, it's like I was I am the greatest you know lantern of all which Cal kind of like says to Sinestro here that it's like I refused you know I refused to fail again and he kind of uses you know. The life source is like water. It takes the shape of its cont- container, he says, and basically he uses 
he uses Lobo base as a as a template to wipe out the Black Lanterns and 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 re and recreate life. But of course, because of the fact that when he recreates life on Earth, that life stems from Lobo and their and Lobo and his his people's ability to uh, it kind of has their their genetic memories are locked in there. They kind of like they don't kind of like shouldn't say that they evolve very very quickly and they look to the stars. But because of the nature of who they are and what their progenitors were, if you will, that they basically they end up attack. You know, they destroy their natural and first impulse is to, is to basically start that Zarn that Zarnian part of them. Is to go out there and to destroy you know, the last of the old civilizations and to basically make the whole universe just really, really bad for new new versions of basically the of Zarnians and Sinestro watches all this within months. They had taken to the stars and and they were you know destroying what remained of the universe and you know false Sinestro, the Limbo Lantern, and he had to, basically he was he was watching all this, knowing that essentially he was. He was the cause of this, and 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 it was, which is cool because also it implies it's a bit. We know we're going to see more of these characters. That Sinestro basically is looking for tweaks and weaknesses in the Source Wall, along with the fabric of all space, time, and reality, to try to pull himself into a different rea- a different reality. And so you can pretty much take it to the bank that he probably will succeed. So we'll see that character again, and thus ends the. Uh, Tales of the Black Multiverse, the Dark Multiverse here. Blackest Night. Uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. My favorite is still so far the Death of Superman one. I think the art uh, was okay. I had some problem with, problems with it here and there, but I think the style fit the darkness yes. of the story. So that was cool. I've never had a big attachment to Mr. Miracle or the New Gods, but that being said, I kind of had a problem with Mr. Miracle sacrificing all of creation for Barda. Yeah, um, I do too. I think that's, I think, I think that's very, that's a very Sinestro-like thing to do in that moment. <laughs> um, just to continue adding, the, um, I don't have any particular passion for Lobo, but I know enough about the Cesarnians to say, okay, if we're going to base all of creation off of it, then that's probably not a good idea. Sinestro should know that too, but whatever. Um, I like that they continued the, the the theme with Dove because if if everything went horribly wrong, then having Dove be you know still out there you know trying you know they can't kill her that sort of a thing, uh, or rather the Black Lanterns can't get near her that sort of a thing. She can still die. The Black Lanterns just can't get near her. Um, that 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 was cool. Uh, you mentioned one of the problems, and that was the white the white ring being on Sinestro's finger. That didn't happen. Um, the other thing that didn't happen, the entire premise of this. Well, I think the ring was on. I do think the ring. Mm-hmm. I think the ring might have been on his finger, but that. But he didn't. But but it was only on his finger because the entity was inside him. I would have to go back and look to see if those pictures of Sinestro actually. I thought he did have a white ring on. I don't think so. Um, but anyways, uh, as I was saying, the. Uh, so and, and they they talk about so this is these are almost like what if tales um uh and they're in, in the fact that you know what if this one thing changed 
uh, rather, this particular thing is this particular story is almost like one thing changed. But their entire premise of what happened in reality didn't happen. Yes, that was my biggest because it says. But in the universe's moment of need, Sinestro chose to share the power, and with that choice, a new core of White Lanterns was born, and the Black Lanterns were defeated because of Sinestro's choice. Hal Jordan saved the day once again in your universe, uh, but that is this is not that story. This this is over. A panel of them showing Necron ripping the White Lantern entity out of Sinestro. Sinestro didn't choose shit. He wanted to be the White Lantern. He became overpowered with all that power. He got distracted. Necron ripped the entity out of him. And then Hal chose to pilot it and share it with the other resurrected heroes like Superman, Animal Man, Wonder Woman, so on and so forth. They brought Black Hand back to life, and Bob's your uncle, the whole thing finished there. Sinestro never made a choice in this matter. Yeah, I I have I that that was and, that, and again if you know if you know Black is night then that's then that's a problem and and not making it you know not making it sound not saying this in a, you know an egotistical way or not you know we know we know blackest night enough to know that's not actually I'm quoting looking at this looking at this splash page of Sinestro here when he first got the, when he first had the entity inside him it does look like he has a white lantern ring on his left hand um, but uh, the reality is no Everything you said is accurate. The reason why, and because they even talk about it in the issue, that Sinestro, Sinestro, because of Sinestro's selfishness and because of his need, his need to control, he was losing control of the white entity, and and or he was not going to be able to control it for long. So it's not like Sinestro willingly made the choice that. Now you could be playing shrink and saying Sinestro deep down realized that he was not going to be able to maintain this power on his own. The only real chance they had was to 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 to, to, to let it out and then and and share and even though he wasn't sharing it, but maybe if he let it out, it would choose other you know but that's not but that's not what happened. The reality is exactly yes, that was and that bothered me from bothered me from the get go. I just didn't, didn't want to dwell on it during the wrap up. But the premise behind it is wrong. Sinestro was losing control of the white entity. His ego and his selfishness prevented him from maintaining control of it. <coughs> so it was not going to happen. So he was. N- it's not like he decided to. It's not like he had the choice of just keeping it inside. It's like, oh, well, he was losing control anyway. So he, it's not like he was making a selfless act and everything else. That, that's that's a real serious revisionist history. I mean, if they want to say that this 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 idea that he chose to share of it is from another non dark dark multiverse multiverse where Blackest Night happened, okay. But they're clearly trying to make it seem like this is Blackest Night as we read it, and that's not that that's not how Blackest Night as we read it happened. I'm not gonna let it, and no, I'm not gonna let it. Sully, the thing, I enjoyed it overall. Uh, I'm glad we have it. It was cool to read. It gave me something to be excited for for a little while. It is a multiverse tale, so if they want to write this particular problem I have with it off, 
by saying, oh, we're referring to another world within the multiverse where Blackest Night happened. Not specifically Blackest Night as you read it, whatever. That's an easy fix, whatever. It's just a problem I had with it. Um, But uh, overall, because they use the New Gods, because they use Mr. Miracle, because they use Lobo, there's not a whole lot in, in here for me personally to be like, oh, man, I'm glad they did that. So... Um, I, I do like the idea that they took kind of like the little known, uh, concept of a dual lantern kind of trapped, uh, on both sides of the coin, uh, because we did have that before with Drick. Yep. It's, Drick was dead and alive because of green ring and black ring. Um, so having, having that sort of concept and split down the middle thing, uh, visually represented here was kind of cool. I don't know that I need a half-life, half-death Sinestro action figure, but I'd be curious what it would look like. Um, so maybe we'll get like a classic Blackest Night clamshell <laughs> uh, action figure of of that, and you can add it to your ever ever growing Blackest Night collection and pretend like you're collecting back in the day. Uh, maybe we'll get a Black Lantern, Big Barda, and those other things, but I really doubt it. But uh, uh, overall, you know, glad it's here. Glad we have it. Uh, enjoyed it for what it was. Had some problems with it here and there, but um, I'm happy it's here. I also don't necessarily <clears throat> know if I buy into Hal, the resurrected Hal, going, oh, you are always the greatest of us. I mean, I don't know. I think that's. I think that's kind of I think that's kind of pushed. And now we understand this is this is Sinestro's story, and Sinestro, and even though he's not technically the, technically the narrator of the story, he's the main character in it. So maybe we could read into it that maybe it's a little skewed. But I also well, what, what bothers me a little bit, the reason why that thing in the beginning was hard to get over, but the but the inaccurate recap of Blackest Night is, is that you know it, it, it's that's that's a pretty big misstep right off the bat. And you can't help but think if you had somebody who was more familiar with you know with Green Lantern stuff, that that probably wouldn't have happened. Uh, and it's, but it's just the, the fact that they're insinuating it was because it was because of Sinestro's choice. Because because also let's let let's not forget that Hal was planning on taking the White Entity in himself to start with, and Sinestro pretty much cock-blocked him and said, no, you had your shot with Parallax and you blew it a couple of years back in Green, in, in, in like Green Lantern, what, what, 50, what, 50 and 51 or whatever. Uh, it's like, no, it's like, this is, this, is, this, is, this is my time now. So, yeah, I don't know. I enjoy, I did, I did enjoy it. I don't, I would probably say... Honestly, considering it was the one I was looking forward to the most, and maybe that's the part of the reason why, I probably think this of the three that I've read so far, this is probably only number three for me. I think I like Bat. I think I liked uh, Nightfall, and I liked uh, and I liked uh, the Death of Superman. Only, only because, and we'll, when we talk about these, we'll go into more detail. Only because of the Eradicator tie-in. Otherwise, the focusing on Lois, I would probably would not have would have. Not enjoyed that much because again, in, uh, that's almost like you're rolling your eyes when you think of that as a concept. But because of the way they pulled it off, uh, I, I did, I did like it, and I, I, I will always love the Eradicator, especially the circa reign of the Superman and after. Good guy, good guy, or at least like uh, chaotically neutral. 
<laughs> super uh, eradicator. I will always have a weakness for that, so I thought that w- I thought that was a cool role um, in that story. But all right, so far sector number one, uh, story by N.K. Jemison. Um, Jim. Jimison, yeah. Uh, Jamal Campbell did the art and, uh, art and color. Lettering, Duran Bennett. Cover, Jamal Campbell. Variant cover, Sean Martinborough, Jamie McKelvey. Uh, assistant editor, Maggie Howell. Editors, Andy Corey and Jamie S. Rich. Special thanks to Sean Martinborough and DC's Young Animal, curated by Gerard Way. Yes, that Gerard Way. Um so this is essentially a murder mystery in space. Um, so, so a police procedural in space, Chad? <laughs> yeah. Kind of more than the Morrison book has been so far. <laughs> so we open up on a murder scene uh, in the rain, uh, and we see uh, Lantern Melanin, or what are we calling her? What's the – how do we say? I, I said melanin, and that's not the right word. For her, her, oh, her last, what, her last name? Yeah, I said that wrong. It was, uh... Because I just remember her first name, but yeah, I know what, I know what you... Uh, where the hell is it? I'm trying to, yeah. find, I'm trying yeah. to find it, too. Uh, you, you just keep going through the review, and I'll, 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 I'll find it in this. This way, we're not slowing each other down. Mullion. Mul- oh, that's yeah, and you're right. It was a, it wasn't, it wasn't M. That's right. Uh, Mullion. Uh, her first name is Joe. I'm going to refer her, refer to her as Joe. J O. That's what I'm going to call her. Uh, her her first name is actually Sojourner, but they refer to her as Joe in like a lot of the um, the promo material and interviews and stuff that kind of were conducted with the creative team and all that. I'm going to call her Joe Lantern Joe. That's what I'm calling her. Anybody from here on out who has a problem with that, let me know. Um, <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. We open up murder. Uh, key aspect here, this is the first major violent crime that's been conduct- conducted in the city in 500 plus years. Nobody knows how to deal with a murder. She's an off-worlder um, uh, or off-platformer, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Uh, and uh, she's obviously put in charge. Of this, she's in charge of a lot of things in, in this city, um, but essentially, this is this the, this all revolves around this murder. Uh, so she's alerted to the murder. She tells uh, some of the peace officers in the area, peace officers, not police officers, because again, violent crime's not really a thing. Um, kind of what we need to do, uh, you know, get some. So yeah, I'm going to bring you guys up to speed on what forensics actually is, uh, to the best of my ability. Uh, you guys need to do that with whatever tech you have. Also alert the next of kin. I need to go talk to the council. She rides over there with, uh, Sizen, who is the chief of the peace officers, uh, to go speak with the trilogy, which are, uh, three leaders of various races that make up this, uh, uh, this, uh, uh metropolis here. Uh, the Na. The at at and the Ketopoli. Uh, and they sit down to discuss things. And it's not, you think it's going to be a murder mystery, but it turns out it's really not because all of this is irrelevant. Uh, it's not a whodunit because it's, uh, it, 
we actually have the person in custody. We need to know how to prevent the next one. Then we get a bit of a history of this planet. Uh, these are uh, three different species that evolved on two planets in the same solar system. Some uh, outside source came, conquering source came in, and divide and conquer was their idea. So they kind of planted ideas that one race did this to the other and another did this to the other. They tore themselves apart, but these are non-emotional feeling beings, so it's just more of a reaction rather than emotion. So once all that was done, they decided to build themselves back up. Again, no emotion, don't hold grudges, whatever. It became a utopia, and they built all these massive plant for platforms, Um uh, and it's basically a massive, almost solar system sized city. Um, they're talking about how to prevent this, what's going on, what the best processes are. There's a bit of uh, bickering back and forth with certain individuals. Uh, she gets out of there to go speak with the person that they have in custody one of the council members says that I want to talk to you later. We'll make a time to do that. There's really no resolution to that in this issue. Just know that when we get to the next issue, that was something that was requested by this council member. Um, so she'll meet him at another time, uh, meet up with him at another time. She arrives at, um, I guess we can call it the precinct, uh, to speak with the suspect that they have in custody uh, who killed this person essentially by eating them. They go into the holding cell. It is dark. Uh, they flip on the lights and boom, this person is the person they have in custody is dead. Uh, gore splattered everywhere. Looks like they were either ripped open or exploded open or whatever. Uh, a black figure with a tail uh, and a cloak on seems to dart out of the room. And that's his, that's when Lantern Joe lights up says get out of my way and heads after him that's the end of the issue the only information we get in this issue that i didn't cover in the recap as to her origin is a bluish hand with nails handing her a box with a green lantern symbol in it and a green lantern ring on it or within it says i'll give you one year one one year and a ring to make your will reality like any Green Lantern, but also unlike one year to test the ring and make your mark. And that's uh, that's all we know about her origin. Someone gave her a ring. Um, let's address your concerns first, Mark. You were concerned that this was going to be overly, you know, SJW or, or whatever. I didn't get a, a big sense of that in this issue. No, in this, in this issue, no. Yeah. So, so what did you think? Obviously, we, we there's still plenty of time for that sort of stuff to come into the series proper. But uh, for the issue, for what you have, what did you think? I liked it based on what we had. Based on what we had in this issue, I as as a as a whole, I liked it. I like her look. You could also call her the Janelle Monet Lantern because that's how I, that's all I think of when I see her, especially with the hair. It's like just cast Janelle Monet to play her now in the movie. Uh, I am curious about the ring because, like in the little interview, after not in the issue, but with the creators, they make it clear that while I think, but her ring does not need to be recharged from a power battery, her ring is also going to have other weaknesses that a regular Green Lantern ring doesn't have. So it's going to be a trade-off. Sort of, I I thought it was an interesting choice, and I think it worked that they we did not really get any of her origin other than the parts you described. So this is not a 
while you you almost had well you didn't really have to you could have done a pure origin story but you also could have done a split where you have a lot of flashbacks in like how she got there but you didn't get that in this issue they kind of like dropped you like it right in media ray so what's going on the murder's already taking place and so i like that uh I, I, I thought the art for the most part was good. I liked the concept. I like the fact I like the fact that they're going out of the way to try to make a complicated society and a multi-layered society and obviously it's supposed to be you know we, there are some elements where you can read into read into what they're trying to imply. I wasn't a huge fan of some of the names they came up with because you know like Stephen of the Glacier by the Wavering Dark it's like that's going to get kind of old. If everybody, everybody we we see in this book is going to have these ginormous, you know, these. It's like it's like introducing Daenerys to somebody new all the time with all those all those titles and everything. Uh, that after a while, I, I that kind of that kind of bothered me a little. You know, they seem to be going a little bit, trying to show their creativity maybe maybe a tad much. Uh, by having all of these, everybody's got some kind of, you know, Everup Thorn of the Dry Season Thorns, and, you know, this, 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 I get it, and I'm not going to say that it's, I can't come around to this, but I think it's, it's, when you think about it, it's a lot, it's a lot of, it's a lot of words and a lot of panel space. It's <laughs> wasted every single time you're, you're going to be talking, you're going to have to talk about a character. That part, that part, I was not thrilled with, but I can't say there was anything else in this issue that I that I didn't like. I, I so 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 far so good. I I certainly I certainly enjoyed this book more than uh, Green Lantern, but Black Stars number one for sure. So you kind of mentioned it. The 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 they go out of their way to sort of establish this world. That's actually one of my favorite things about this. Um, for when I first read it, I was a little worried that we were getting yet another space story where we're just going to make up random words and concepts and names, and we're just going to throw the reader knee deep into all of it and expect them to understand. But you get partway through this, and it, it suddenly goes black, and it says, "Hold up, wait a minute. I'm guessing you're confused. Well, let's process that a little." And then we get the origin of these planets and these species, um, and when earlier on when they're talking about things. Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to find the page here. I'm just sort of paging through here. Um, where is it? I just want to make sure I find it right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's telling her, like, yeah, you know, her internal narrative early on is like, space sector, some number, nobody ever bothered to tell me. Far, the farthest of the. Guardians, uh, 3,600 sectors, maybe farther. Maybe it doesn't have a number. Platform ever forward. Yes, that's a name. And then the very next page, platform. Think of it as a borough. This one's Manhattan-ish. Uh, so, like, you're like, platform what? Like, And then immediately it explains what a platform is. And it does it, I don't want to say with ease because it, almost seems a little forced kind of like hey <laughs> editor's note <laughs> or whatever but at the same time it's almost done in an internal dialogue manner like we're sort of telling us like they the reader knows they're telling a story or, or sorry the, the character knows they're telling a story to somebody not necessarily fourth wall breaking but maybe this is being like a, a 
you know, a log that the lantern is keeping to report back to the guardians after this year has passed or whomever gave them the ring or whatever. So that's cool. I like how they're using that narrative, uh, that narrative process to sort of explain things to us instead of just tossing us into this world and hoping we get it. No, I agree. I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think that was good work, good world building, certainly on the bare bones way of you know the first introduction <clears throat> into this new world i th- i think i think that worked i so i i agree with you on that i really enjoyed the art as well um from some of the preview pages or rather the cover or whatever i wasn't entirely sure i got a sense of what it was going to look like but i i, I enjoyed it it seemed sort of smooth uh not a lot of really dark and sharp inking lines or whatever like that so it was I, I don't know. I just I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, sure, this has the process, the, the possibility to go off the deep end or become something I don't like. Or uh, to your point, your some of your concerns about uh, you know being overly SJW or overly uh, political or, or whatever. That's all <laughs> still possible. But for this first issue, for what it is, for what I have in my hand, what I read, page or cover to cover, I enjoyed it. I'm I'm excited to see what the, where we go with this. I I agree. I was pleasantly surprised, and I think that uh, hopefully this will hopefully this will do better as far as post you know post surprise. It'll do better like um that post initial surprise because because the Morrison book surprised me too because because I thought it was a lot I thought it was a lot worse. I expected a lot worse, I should say, and it wasn't. So it kind of raised the expectation after that. Uh, yeah, so thumbs up so far. Have to keep pleasantly surprised so op- and optimistic about what's about this book right now. Let's see if it delivers, continues to. For sure. All right. Anything else before we uh, tell people how to reach us? No, I think. Uh, I think that's it. All right. So next proper episode is going to be what? The Q&A? That is what's on the schedule for now. Yes. All right, guys. So uh, get your questions in. We've actually got a lot of them already. Uh, but remember, we said our the length of that episode is driven by your questions. Uh, it's possible the questions you ask may already have been asked by someone else, but it's also possible it's not. So definitely get those questions in. And, Mark, if they want to do so, how can they reach us? They can reach us at LanternCast. Dot com. That's our website. Uh, email us at lanterncast at gmail.com. That's the best way to contact us. As far as getting a, getting a nice direct line to us, that I think still works best. Twitter, of course, still works quite well too. Ha- use hashtag GLCast to find us there and, and on Facebook. We're on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So if you listen to us on either of those, please leave us a positive review. And another good way to reach us is our voicemail chirp chirp uh 708 lantern and let us know what you think that's right i actually think we have one from corwin that we need to to play at some point but that would actually go a lot go well with the q a anyway so i will make sure i listen to that since i didn't bother to check i didn't bother to check today since let's be honest lately up until recently it's been so barren that it kind of gets depressing to go in to find that there's nothing there <laughs> it was cool to see those q a emails come yes, in yes yeah that was cool All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.